Anyway, on that note, um, so this morning I have the privilege um, to, to carry on with our journey of overcoming strongholds. Uh, Brent sends his regards. Uh, he's, he's all the way up in Clerkstorp, and then he's going to go up to Uppington, obviously continuing to exercise the giftings that, that God has given um, him. So this morning, yeah, I'll be taking us through overcoming strongholds, and the idea once again is I want to get to a point where we, we, we demolish. We demolish the strongholds that we might find ourselves being kept captive of and then moving to a place where we make the Lord um, our stronghold. And just a definition of, of a stronghold, it's a place that has been fortified, a place that has been fortified to withstand attack. That's what a stronghold is. And just to give an example, in 2 Kings um, 17 verse 5, um, it's a story of, of, of where the Assyrians were, were, were attacking Samaria, and the Bible says it took like three years for, 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 for Samaria to fall. So it gives you an idea that the stronghold that Samaria had was strong enough to withstand attack for three years. So it gives you an idea that a stronghold is a place of protection. Some other strongholds are so strong that they can withstand attack or waves of attack, attack, and, and attack. So I, I, I'm obviously hoping that you guys then understand that's what it means when, when we say stronghold. But then based on that wording of protection, most of the time when the Bible talks about um, um, a stronghold, it's talking about or it's referring to the fact that God is able to protect his people. God is able, is able to save his people. But from a spiritual point of view, when you have a spiritual stronghold, that's actually a bit of a negative thing. Because... Brent spoke about this last week. He said a stronghold from a spiritual point of view, it's something that has a strong hold over you. It's something that has a strong hold over you. And the idea, once again, is we don't want to manage the strongholds. We want to demolish them. And this week, we're going to be kicking off with substance abuse. And substance abuse is just the excess use of alcohol, excess use of pain medication, or excess use of illegal drugs. And if we just look at the, the sources, I mean, what are the sources that feeds substance abuse or what are the sources that feeds strongholds? I think there should be just a banner on the screen that just gives you an idea of all the sources. So the first one would be unconfessed sin, could be lies that you and I believe, could be a wound or a hurt that we, we experience, uh, could be disappointment, or could be generational, where just generational or wrong mindsets are passed down from generation to generation. So just to give you an idea what, what we mean by, by the word source. So one of the strongholds that I've been seeing a lot, especially with, with, with people my, my age or generation, you know, people get into a relationship, they get hurt, and then they end up saying statements like, I will never let a girl play me, I will never trust, trust a, a woman or a lady. But what you don't realize is that word never, what you have done is you have taken God out of the picture and you've made yourself king. And by you making yourself king, what you have done now is you've created fertile land or fertile soil where the enemy can use that to start building or to start constructing a stronghold. And, and for me personally, with regards to substance abuse, I, I, I abused alcohol. I even tried weed, but my lungs were too weak, so I gave that up quickly. But I had really my relationship with alcohol was not really good. And just to give you an idea, so I grew up, most of you guys will know, Limpopo province up north. 
Um, there isn't much opportunities in terms of jobs and, 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 and factories. So just to give you an idea, I went on Google and I looked at the, I mean, how much does Limpopo contribute to the GDP of the country? It's like 7%, so it tells you we don't have much you know, stuff there. So what happens is because there isn't anything going on, there or much stuff happening, you are told growing up you have to be an engineer. You are, if you're not an engineer, then you have to be a lawyer back then. You have to be a chartered accountant or you have to be a doctor. That's pretty much the options that, that you have. Even the schooling system there is literally rigged up to studying. I mean, we don't have extra, extramural activities. I mean, I was chatting to some of the people here. They're like, yeah, there's this thing called detention. I'm like, what's that? With us, it was called studies. The whole school would study after school. Like, so basically, our system, our school system was just based on making sure that you are like a factory line of engineers, doctors, you name it. So yes, I followed the script, went to varsity, studied uh, industrial engineering, uh, passed it, everything was good, and then I got my first internship. And then what happened is when I got my internship, just the transition from just university um, to a work environment wasn't the greatest for me personally. But I have also noticed that even like this new generation, the next generation of people, we, we, we struggle a lot with, with, with the transition. And what happens is when the transition is not facilitated well, it, it creates a lot of morale issues because people think they are not worth it, people think they can't do the job, or people think, yeah, they're just useless. But the reality is the transition was not handled um, well. So I found myself in a space where I was disappointed with work because it wasn't living up to the expectation that I had uh, in my head. Uh, now the question you might ask is, well, if it's not meeting your expectation, just quit, just walk away. It doesn't work like that. So once again, where I'm from, um, it was quite funny when, you, when you're in class, there would be like 10 people who would have siblings and all their siblings would be in the same grade. So what would happen is parents would have kids maybe like, you know, and then after four years, then they have another kid. And the idea behind that is we've, made, we've spaced you out enough so all our savings go to you and then once you pass and you get a job, you need to go back, help your brother. So you can see it's quite a factory line. Uh, so with that in mind, yes, uh, uh, one could say you could have quit, but I couldn't because in my mind I'm thinking I'm 90% there anyway. I mean, for me to walk away means all the life savings my parents had done, you know, that goes to nothing. You know, so I was like, okay, fine, I'm just going to stay. I'm just going to, you know, soldier through. But the problem is I found myself in a dangerous place where... I was disappointed, I was frustrated, and I needed to escape. And in a moment, I'm going to show you biblically why it is so dangerous to find yourself in that space. Because last week, Brent spoke about how strongholds actually are incorrect thinking patterns. Strongholds are incorrect thinking patterns. And if we look at the book of, of Genesis, we get to see some of the tactics that the enemy uses to try and obviously build a stronghold um, around our lives. So if we go to Genesis 2, we see how God talks to Adam. He places him in the garden, and he tells him, eat every fruit except the, the one of, of, of good and evil, and that's the command that, that God gave Adam. Then when we fast forward to Genesis 3, we see how the enemy now approaches Eve and then asks her a question, did God really say, I mean, really, did he really say you should not eat? And then what happens is in verses 2 and 5, there's a dialogue between the enemy and, and Eve. And then in verse 6, it says, in Genesis 3, verse 6, it says, Then Eve was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful 
and its fruit looked delicious. Now, I don't know whether that fruit literally looked delicious, but one thing I can see is she was convinced, and from a point of being convinced, she then saw the fruit, and I don't know whether maybe the, the perspective was tainted. So if we just break it down, what are the enemy tactics which we should be aware of, especially when we understand that strongholds are incorrect thinking patterns? Well, he'll attack what we're listening to or what we hear. He will attack what we look at. And then if those two pillars fall, we find ourselves doing what we are not supposed to do. So, for example, in the, in the, in the area of, of hearing, the people that are around us, the music that we listen to, the TV shows that we watch, basically all the sources, are they building us up or are they corrupting our minds? Are they building us up or are they rewriting our thought pattern? And then also with regards to, to, to seeing, are we seeing life for what it is or are we seeing it with a poisoned perspective because we've been convinced uh, by, by things that we're listening to, by the people that are around us or by the music we listen to? And then lastly, like I said, if those two pillars fall, we fall or we basically act. And just for me in my own personal life, if I look at just those, those three elements, um, the enemy used the environment and the friends that I had when I was in Richards Bay. So when I walked into this town or when I came to this town, it was like a, I'm going to call it a startup pack 101. It's like people just drink, party, bry, rinse and repeat. That, that's literally the environment I found myself Drink, party, pry, rinse and repeat. And when I came, I was like, ah, I don't do that. I don't have time for that. But because I was in that area of, of, of disappointment, frustration, what would happen is I'd, be like, I'd, I'd fight it off, I'd fight it off, and then eventually you're, like, you're sitting at home thinking, why are you an idiot? You have nothing to do. You're bored. Just go out and party. And one party becomes two, becomes three, becomes four. And then before you know it, it's a lifestyle. And then also the enemy used um, the type of music that I was, I was listening to um, to reshape my thoughts. And it's, it's, for example, you'd be listening to songs and then all these guys would be talking about YOLO, you only live once. And then you start acting like that. You start living your life like, oh yeah, you only live once, so you've got to maximize every experience. Some of the songs I was listening to would always talk about how you're self-made, so now you, you forget that, hey, you, you're not here because of your own strength. You're here because God had favor over you. But over time, because I'm hearing a lot of self-made, you started from the bottom, then it started to change my thinking pattern. Uh, other songs that, that I listen to, I don't know how to say this properly, but you listening to songs that say, make it rain, money to blow. But it sounds like a joke. What happens is once you listen to those songs enough, what happens is now when you go clubbing, you want to now emulate what you're listening to. So now you're standing in tables, making it rain, and that means actually spending money unnecessarily. So obviously I'm just using simple examples of how the enemy used simple things like music to rewrite my thinking pattern. And then also earlier on, like, like I explained, just that self-image that I had um, about myself, where I felt I wasn't worth it. I felt like I was just wasting my time. And then the other thing that the enemy used was, so what happens is when, you, when you're stuck in substance abuse, um, there's this level that you want to get to. And there's multiple words for it. Some say you're wasted. Some say you're sloshed. Some say you're not alone. But the point is, you want to get to the point of, of temporarily forgetting 
your problems. And that's literally what substance abuse is. You, you find a substance, you abuse it, to get to the level where you forget about your problems and you're like, oh, I've made it. And then once again, you rinse and repeat. And also the enemy used that against me personally to always try and get there because for that pure moment, I found myself forgetting the issues that I had. But then biblically, what does the Bible say about substance abuse? I mean, that was my story. But biblically, what does the Bible say about substance abuse? So what happens is, all of, you, all of you guys would have probably seen a vessel or a ship. So when a ship sails through like, like uh, the ocean or water, what happens is there's those waves that it leaves at the back. They call it a wake. And I think similarly with substance abuse, whatever shape, shape or form um, it is, it leaves a, a wake of destruction that is really not good. So the first, first example I can think of is um, Genesis 19. Verse 30 to 35, I'm not going to read the story, I'll just paraphrase it. But uh, there's Abraham and Lot. Uh, what happens is Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, so Lot goes to, to some cave. with uh, He escapes with his two daughters. But then what happens is his two daughters come up with this dodge plan. They're like, hey, we need to have kids. So they get their dead drunk, and then they have kids with their dead. It's quite a weird story. But that's just the first example that... that actually gives you an idea that when you're under the substances or when you use a lot of substance abuse, unfortunately, especially if you find yourself in areas that are not safe, you're actually vulnerable to, to attack. You're actually vulnerable to a space where physically you can actually be, be hurt. The next example um, is in Isaiah 5, verse 22, which says, What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold? And that definition of sorrow simply means deep regret. And I've seen this. This is quite painful to see where there were so many people around me that would, would come to Richards Bay, um, never drink alcohol in their life, started drinking, and it got so bad that they couldn't stop. And then what happens, unfortunately, you, you carry that behavior to work. First warning, second warning, gone. And the saddest thing about that is those were breadwinners in the family. Those were things that I saw as I was going through the cycle also of substance abuse. Another example is Ephesians 5, verse 18. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And just that word ruin means to damage. And for me personally, I saw this way financially I got ruined. I was in debt because once again, you're trying to feed that craving of making it rain. I remember there was a point also when, when we used to buy groceries, like, Alcohol as part of a grocery. When we bought, you know, like when people are pushing a trolley from checkers, I mean, normally it should have food. But with us, it was like half of it was groceries. The other half was always alcohol. That was, a, that was a weekly basis. It was normal to us. So I saw that financially I got ruined. Also, my perspectives on relationships were ruined where I found myself having relationships that do not honor God. And then also in terms of my quality of work or responsibilities, those were also ruined where I'd have jobs that I needed to complete, but then every time on Monday, because I was pretty much wasted or drunk throughout the entire weekend, on Monday you'd come back and you're like, yes, I flippin' forgot to do that assignment. So my quality of work was also um, ruined. And then also there was just reckless behavior that came with that way. I found myself doing a lot of drag racing, which was not really safe, just reckless, a reckless lifestyle. So yeah, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. 
Then the question is then, how then do we wage war against strongholds? How do we wage war against substance abuse if you find yourself, or maybe there's a family member um, that you're aware of that actually is stuck in the stronghold of substance abuse? So 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons, we fight, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And with the theme of understanding that strongholds are incorrect thinking patterns, what is Corinthians saying to us? Well, firstly, we need to acknowledge and we need to understand that we are in a war. There is a war that we are part of. But for us to actually be victorious in this war, we cannot depend on weapons that are not divine or weapons that do not come from heaven. If we do that, we are simply just wasting our time. We need to use the divine weapons um, that obviously do come from heaven. And the reason why is they are the ones that have the power to demolish strongholds. Um, and the question then would be, what are these weapons? There should be a, a, a screen just with a list of all seven of, the, all seven of these weapons. So the first one is authentic community, renewed thinking, the word of God, Holy Spirit prayer, um, honest conf- uh, confession, which is humility, pursuing God's purpose, faith and trust in God. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to go through the ones that God used for me personally where I found myself breaking through um, substance abuse. So in my journey, in my life, the weapons that, that helped me break free was authentic community, renewed thinking, and the word of God. So what I mean by that is I found myself back into a community. And now that I was in a community, God was able then to work in me, help me change my thinking. And then from a place of changing my thinking, I could then live a life where I could stand tall on his word. So if we just jump into the first one, authentic community. So obviously I was far gone. I was gone, like proper gone. And, and what I've noticed, and, and if you've been or if you've had a substance abuse past, you would actually agree with me that what happens is the reality is whether you want to agree or not, God is always at work. He is always at work. But then what happens is sometimes we don't get to see, I'm going to call them road signs. We don't get to see the road signs that God uses to actually get us back um, to, to his will. So I've got this like three road signs I can clearly think of where you could see God was at work. So the first one was uh, I was driving in the wee hours of the morning. I think it was like three or four in the morning, driving back, once again, wasted. And there was a fatal accident on the road, and I remember clearly it was raining. And I remember seeing that, that accident, and I was like, yo, you know, if you really don't stop this life, that could be you. And I could remember clearly, and I could feel in my, in, in my spirit that God is actually at work, but at that point, you're still too reckless, so you just carry on doing what, what you're doing. And then the next road, road, road sign that, that God used, which I also remember very well, was this, this one evening again, I was drag racing, and then I bumped a car. Luckily, no one got injured, but my bumper got messed up. And the week after that, I had to go home. And I'm thinking, 
I mean, it's my death car. I didn't own the car at the time. So I'm thinking, yo, how am I going to do this? Do I lie? Do I tell him something came up at work? But I'm like, eh, I'm going home. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, nine out of ten times, my dad is never there when I'm home. So I'm just going to quickly park the car. Uh, and, the, and the reasoning with that was normally when I go to Limpopo and I drive from Limpopo to Richards Bay, I leave at like three in the morning. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to park the car in. And then at three in the morning, he's not going to see me. I want to sneak out. You know, Bob's your uncle. Life is good. That one day when I drove home, he was right at the gate. I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. Anyway, I drive home. Um, my dad looks at the car, looks at the bumper, and then he looks at me. He comes, he opens the door, gives me a hug. He's like, hey, we'll look at the car tomorrow. How are you doing? I felt so guilty. I remember sitting there thinking, yo, I was planning, I was scheming to try and hide this. But my dad re- didn't really care about the car. He, just, he was just so happy to see his son. And once again, just sitting there thinking, is this the person that you have become? Someone that plans and schemes. And I, once again, I could feel and sense that God um, was working. And the other scenario that he used, um, I got into trouble for calling my wife a roadblock. But anyway, um, when, I, when I met Grace, um, that was when, yeah, that, that, that uh, divine weapon really disowned me properly. I was not ready for that. So what had happened was um, I, I, I knew Grace's cousin, um, so we picked her up. There was a social, and then I noticed in the corner of my eye that, yikes, I know that car. And I'm like, oh, flip, I work with their dad. So I'm like, okay, cool. Then anyway, I couldn't drop her home, so because I work with her dad, I called the next morning just to make sure that she's fine because I didn't want a guy in my office on a Monday morning telling me what happened. I didn't need that stress in my life. Um, so when I called Grace... Uh, so I'm like, hey, did you get home safe? Are you fine? She's like, yeah, no, everything is good. But hey, come to church. I'm thinking, who do you think you are? You don't even know me, but you want me to come to church. And then she's like, well, if you're not coming to church, we have nothing to talk about. Hangs up. I'm like, this, this girl has some nerve. Oh, my goodness. Um, and at that point in time, once again, when she hung up, I had a choice. I could just walk away. But then something, I don't know, I don't know why. But anyway, I picked up the phone and I called her again. Long story short, I found myself in a church community. That evening I found myself at church. So I could see that God was using a lot of the situations that were in front of me to help me bring me back to my senses. And then when I was brought to my senses, then I found myself back into a community. So that's the first weapon authentic community it's a very it looks like a very light weapon but it's a very powerful weapon find yourself in a community find yourself obviously amongst believers then the second weapon now that i found myself in a community was renewed thinking romans 12 says do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and this is a very practical weapon this is not theoretical. If it stays theoretical, honestly, you're wasting your time. And what I mean by it's a very practical weapon, as God starts to do changes in your life, there's adjustments that you have to physically make also in your life. So, for example, what I mean by this being practical, I had to understand I had an alcoholic problem. I had to understand that. Secondly, I had to understand what are the sources that are feeding um, this, this alcoholic behavior and then now that I understood those sources, I had to cut them. It's that simple. You had to cut them. So the music I was listening to, those certain artists I just could not listen to anymore. Um, the friends that I had, 
we just couldn't be friends. Cause what, and, and what would happen was, you know, it, it moved from, hey, let's go party, to no one calls you anymore, to you check your status, you're like, oh, what was that party? And they don't even call you. It's not an easy process, but nonetheless, the process has to happen. It's a very practical step. You cut the sources. Third step, who holds you accountable? So at that point in time, Grace held me accountable. However, a year later, she left, she left for Durban to study in Durban. And what I had to do now is I found myself in this church. I felt like she trapped me because brought me to church and left. But I had to find another connect group so that I could be held accountable. And then also in that area of accountability, you guys know yourself. You know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. For me personally, I knew my weaknesses. I would rather wake up in the morning and play Xbox than come to church. That was me. That was my weakness. So I had to be plugged in to a serving team because what would happen is if I'm rostered in that morning, I have no excuse to play Xbox. That was my weakness. It sounds simple, but yet again, you have to put systems or practical systems in place to hold yourself accountable. And then the fourth thing was obviously a truth verse, which is then the third weapon. Uh, and the third weapon that, that helped me break free was the word of God. And some of you probably grew up in environments where there were like all those pictures with all the scriptures, you know, Ezekiel 36, turn out, uh, I will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Some of you guys saw that. Some of you grew up with uh, what Quentin said earlier on, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The point is, now that I was, I was, I was in a community God was working in me, it was easy enough for him to start building a lot of truth into my heart. And just to give an example, when I found myself, for example, fearful or um, there were problems, I'd remember his word where Jesus said, um, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. When I find myself in areas where it felt dark, I just felt, yo, I just can't do this. I'm reminded of Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley, I'm reminded, hey, don't camp in valleys, carry on walking. I remember, I think it was 2017, there was this, uh, there was this sermon that, that, that Quinton preached, which I actually still remember it today about perspective. Um, he spoke about Abraham and Lot and how uh, when, when Abraham and Lot were, were talking amongst each other, they were like, I think what had happened was their, their, their wealth or cattle or whatever livestock they had was so big that they couldn't stay in one area. So they sat down and said, okay, if you go east, I'll go west. If you go north, I'll go south. That's the arrangement they had amongst themselves. But what happened was God then came after that. And when he spoke to Abraham, he said, look north, east, west, south. And I, I still remember the truth about perspective where I find myself, where I, I just can't see clearly. I'm reminded, if I try and do this by myself, my perspective will be tainted. But if I've got God helping me with, with an area of perspective, I know that he will not lead me astray. So that's what happens. I found myself uh, where truth was just being pumped into my heart. Another truth, and I'm picking on Quinton because he's here, um, one of the sermons he preached on was, was he made a decision once to come to church. He made a decision once. Not every morning I'm going to wake up, oh, do I go to church? No, he made a decision once. And that's how powerful, that's how powerful the word of God is. It starts to just, you know, print truth after truth after truth after truth in your heart. And then for me personally, my truth verse, um, and it probably will not be a surprise to most of you, is Luke 15, which is the prodigal son. 
I always see myself a lot um, in the prodigal son. Just a quick recap what happens with the prodigal son. He goes to his father. He says, I want to be emancipated from you, so please give me my share of, of my wealth. Um, the father gives the prodigal son his portion. Then the son goes far away, squanders the money, loses all of it. And I always see myself in that. And every time I read that, I'm just reminded of myself. But then the good news about that uh, the story is how when, when, when the prodigal son hit rock bottom, and I think of the road signs that I spoke about earlier on, he got to a point where he says, I can't live like this. I need to go back. I need to go back to my dad. And it's quite beautiful how it says when he went back, his father saw him from afar. And when his father saw him, the father ran to him and embraced him. And it's just such a beautiful story. And the prodigal son goes to his father and says, Dad, I see myself as a slave. I'm so sorry. Dad didn't even care. Grabs him, tells the, um, the guys that work for him. And he says, hey, um, kill some animals. Let's, let's have a celebration. Let's have a feast. And every time I just read, that's, that's pretty much my biggest truth verse because I'm reminded of just how good our father is. I'm just reminded of, of, of how good his, or how endless his, his unconditional love is. I'm reminded of his mercy. I'm reminded of his grace. It's just quite a beautiful story. And when it comes to truth verses, I can't impose a truth verse on you. God has to be doing that work in your life. Those are the three weapons that help me escape substance abuse. God might use two for you guys, might use one, or he might use a completely different, um, uh, can I say, we uh, weapon range. But the reality is, if we use earthly weapons, we are wasting our times. If you are tired of being stuck in a stronghold, if you are tired of stuck with, 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 with substance abuse, don't waste your time with worldly weapons. The list that I just highlighted there, they have divine power to break your stronghold. We are not in the business of managing strongholds. We're in the business of demolishing strongholds. And we need to grab a hold of this weapon so that we can be um, free. So just to read that list or that weapon range again, authentic community, renewed thinking, the word of God, Holy Spirit prayer, honest confession, pursuing God's purposes, and faith and trust in God. Would you please stand? And I think just lastly as we stand, Galatians 5.13 says, Brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. You were called to be free. And then John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And like I said earlier on, we are not in the business of managing strongholds. Yes, it's great that they're going to be demolished, but as us, as, 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 your, as, the, as the eldership team, we are praying and trusting that, yes, strongholds are broken, but ultimately you live a life where you are free. We want to see you guys be free. I want to make a very bold statement to say, and especially if you've had a past of substance abuse, um, Chances are, if you've ever backslidden or you find yourself stuck in a cycle of substance abuse, the reality is the first weapon on the list is what actually you've stopped using it. Nine out of ten times, you've cut yourself from authentic community. You've found yourself isolated. 
And from a place of isolation, that's when the enemy keeps drawing you back into a stronghold. And I'm not saying the other weapons, I'm just saying, especially with substance abuse, that first weapon, if that habit has fallen off, that's pretty much the first habit you need to really get back ASAP. Find yourself in a community. So what we're going to do is just after the service, we're going to have a team that's going to be right here in the front, and we would love to pray for you. Whether backslidden, substance abuse, whatever strongholds, don't miss this opportunity. Please do come up in the front, and we would love to pray for you. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we say thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that not only, you, not only that you loved us so much that you actually set us free from sin,